Hi, everybody. My name is Darren. Nice to see you all this morning. If you're a regular part of the family around here, we're excited to see you. It's nice to look into your faces. We're going to open God's Word in Genesis 12 here this morning together. If you're our guest or you've come with a friend or you're new to the neighborhood or whatever, man, we don't want you to stay guest for long. We're happy you're our guest, but we wouldn't like anybody to stay thinking of themselves as a guest for very long. We want you to think of yourself as family and certainly anything I can do personally to help in that transition to, uh, to family from guest, I'd love to do. So reach out to me. We can grab coffee or get lunch or I can answer questions, whatever. There's lots of ways to do that. But, uh, but it's nice to have you with us this morning for worship. Now we're in the midst of an ongoing study in Genesis chapter 12, uh, not in Genesis chapter 12, but in the book of Genesis, we've now arrived at Genesis 12. This is the third section for us in our ongoing study. We talked about God and walking with him in the beginning. That was sort of the first section. And then we talked about walking with God in the aftermath. That's after the fall of man. And in the aftermath, we saw increasing wickedness and we've seen increasing increasing selfishness, and we've seen increasing division and pride and turmoil. We've seen uh, all, all kinds of things, people increasingly sort of spread out. And now as we come to our third section of this third division, what I would call walking with God into new territory, in this third section, we begin to see the signs of God's plan to restore all things, right? Remember that in the garden, everything was shalom. It was whole and well. There was peace. There was wholeness between God and man and creation. And then sin has disrupted all of that. And so we see this brokenness. And now we're beginning to see the first signs of God's long-term plan, the story that God is writing in the whole of the Bible, in the whole of human history, to restore that shalom, to restore that wholeness and that wellness, to bring all these things together. And he does so through an unlikely place. We talk in this church about... um, about unblushing oddity, right? One of the pillars of our vision is the idea of there, the fact that there's an unforced appeal and unblushing oddity. And what that means essentially is we're all a little bit weird, right? Faith is a little bit weird. God's created us uniquely. We've all got our quirks. We've all got our idiosyncrasies, like the strange things about us. And sometimes we try and cover those things up or we try and set them aside. But it's actually in the peculiarity of being the people of God that others are drawn to us, right? It's in the peculiarity of who God's made us to be and the way in which he's created us, each with our different strengths and our weaknesses and our preferences. God's created us, and now God comes to this guy named Abram. I want to say from the get-go here that Abram's not really a special guy at the outset of this story. He, he becomes special, and he's remembered over time because of the blessing of God, because in some ways of what we're even going to see initiated here in Genesis 12. But Abram's just a guy like you and me. He, he is just a regular dude. In fact, the Bible will tell us, and we saw this a few weeks ago in Genesis 11, that Abram and his father Terah and his brothers, they were living in Ur, the Chaldeans, and uh, Terah decides, hey, let's go to Canaan, right? There's some indication in, in uh, the New Testament that God had come to Terah, that's Abram's father, and said, I want you to go to Canaan. They get as far as Haran, And they stop. You can read about that at the end of uh, chapter 11 of Genesis. They stop and they settle in Haran, which was not what God had asked them to do. But Terah ends up dying in Haran. He goes no further. And as now we come to Genesis chapter 12, we see that God comes to Abram and he says, I want you to get up and go. I never wanted you settled here in Haran. I never wanted you settled in this place. I've got another place for you, a plan that I'm working out. So forget all this. Let's get going, right? So here's what we read in these first three verses. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Well, it's pretty cool, right? It's cool that God speaks. It's cool that God speaks to Abram. Uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, by the way, is a pagan place. It's a place where they worship lots of different gods, false gods, lowercase g kind of gods. That would have been Abram's upbringing, right? In a pagan society, now the true God comes to him and says, get up and go. I'm going to show you where I want you to be, right? This is, an, this is a profound moment. The fact that the creator of the universe, the God, that God would speak in the same way he had spoken to Abram, in the same way that he'd spoke, or the same way he'd spoken to Adam, in the same way he'd spoken to Noah, that he would speak to Abram. This is a big deal. But at first, Abram probably would have just been trying to assimilate the voice of God into the pantheon of gods that his father had worshipped, right? God comes to him and speaks and says, let's go. I don't want us to miss the profound beauty of the fact that God speaks to his people. That he speaks to us still. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. The fact that God communicates to mankind at all is an incredible gift. God speaks to Abram. Not only does God speak to Abram, but God speaks in a way that Abram can hear and comprehend. We could sort of summarize this whole section, verses 1 through 9, in God speaks, uh, Abram hears, and Abram obeys, right? If you're just looking for an easy, we could just kind of close our Bibles and and call it the end. But I want to look at a little bit closer here. God speaks to Abram. He gives these commands and these promises. It's important for us to note that the commands of God and the promises of God always go together, right? In this text, we see him make some promises to Abram. But those promises are dovetailed, they're coupled together with this call to move, this call to action. And the same thing is true for us today, that God's commands go hand in hand with his promises. The first thing that God says to Abram here in verse 1 is, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house. Get up and go. I want you to leave the comfortability. I want you to leave all that you're familiar with. I want you to leave uh, your, your tribe and your old practices and your old way of doing things. I wrote in my notes here that the, the solace and security of our tribes, in this case, give way to a higher allegiance. That God is calling Abram to a higher allegiance than just to his family, or just to his upbringing, just to his people, or to his nation, or his tribe. He's asking Abram to forsake those things. Not to ignore who his father is, not to ignore the country he came from, not to ignore his upbringing or all the things he's learned, but to align himself with a higher allegiance. And that's an important note for us in the day and age in which we live today as well, isn't it? It it matters where you come from. I grew up in Phoenix. I was born in Texas. It matters. I'm not supposed to ignore the Phoenician period of my life, right? There was a period of time when I lived in the desert. I'm not supposed to ignore that. I'm not supposed to ignore the fact that I grew up in a fundamental Baptist household, right? I learned a lot of things in the faith of my father and the faith of my mother. There are a lot of great things I learned. But my primary allegiance is not to be to Phoenix. My primary allegiance is not to be to the fundamental Baptist. My primary allegiance is not to be to my father and mother. All of those sub-allegiances are meant to be trumped by my allegiance to the voice and the calling of God. And those other allegiances are meant to be read and understood through and only through the lens of who God is and what he has said. Does that make sense? Today, we mess this up. There are day and age, in the day and age in which we live, we miss this up and, and we sometimes start reading our faith through the lens of where we've grown up. Or we read our faith through the lens of what we've been taught or what we think. We started to read God through the lens of our tribes or our, our friend groups, right? Uh, it's, it's probably not a shock to you at all that in the last 18 months or 20, I've had several meetings with people where they sit down with me and they go, we've been watching you. And we've started to think that maybe 
you're a Democrat, right? I've had people sit down with me and tell me they think I'm a Democrat. And my answer to them, maybe some of you don't think that's funny at all because you've been wanting to ask me this question and you haven't been able to ask me. But my answer to them always is this. I am not a Democrat, nor am I a Republican, right? I am a, a citizen and an ambassador of the kingdom of God and my allegiance to the kingdom of God trumps all other earthly alignments. Does that make sense? There is no human institution that is infallible, right? There is no human institution that's infallible. All of my other allegiances, sometimes the Republicans get it right, and sometimes the Democrats get it right, and sometimes the fundamental Baptists get it right, and sometimes the people at the Assemblies of God get it right, but they also always get it wrong. You know who never gets it wrong? God in heaven, right? And that's it. God looks at Abram and he says, I want you to walk away from all of your tribes and I want you to walk away from your upbringing. I want you to walk away from the solace and the security of your past and your allegiances because I want to trump those allegiances with something higher. The solace and security of our tribes give way to a higher allegiance. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus himself will say in verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will follow it. It's no wonder why when Jesus calls the disciples, right? They leave their nets. They leave those things behind. Why? Because there's a new allegiance, a supreme allegiance to the character and the call of God that trumps everything else. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said to the, well, actually, we can even back it up further. Passing alongside the sea in, in verse 16 of Mark 1, passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This is what they do. This is what they've been taught to do. Fishing is who they are, right? They're fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's not that they don't know how to fish. It's not that they won't go back to fishing. It's not that they have to forsake fishing entirely, but following Jesus is more important than fishing in this moment, right? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. We see this principle throughout, that our allegiance to the kingdom of God and to its king trumps everything else, right? So God comes to Abram and he says, I want you to go. I want you to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, your people, everything you've known. And then what he says next is striking. He says, I want you to go to the land that I will show you. Don't miss this, right? He doesn't say, he doesn't give him a map. He doesn't give him GPS. There's no sat nav, right? God looks at Abram and he says, I want you to get up, leave your comfort, leave your security, leave the solace. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to reveal to you along the way. I'll tell you right now, we don't like this arrangement, right? This is not the way we're wired. You tell me where I'm going to go. You tell me how I'm going to get there. You tell me where I'm going to be sleeping when I get there and what the bathroom facilities look like. And then I'll make a decision about whether or not I'm going, right? My family and I, I got to take my, uh, my whole family to uh, the East Coast in 2019. I was teaching at Hume Lake uh, on their East Coast campus, and I took my whole family, and we went to Boston, and we went to Washington, D.C., and we got to go to Manhattan, and we went, you know, we got to kind of tour the East Coast a little bit, which was really a blessing, because then shortly after, everything kind of shut down. But in 2019, we wanted to go see the Statue of Liberty. I want to take my kids to see the Statue of Liberty. And so people had told us, like, don't pay for a weird, fancy thing. Just get on the Staten Island Ferry because the Staten Island Ferry goes right in front of the Statue of Liberty. You'll have a great view. It's not very expensive, whatever. So 
One day we go to the Staten Island Ferry and uh, we're getting ready to get on. And outside of the Staten Island Ferry, there is a, there's a man standing there and he goes, are you guys going to see the Statue of Liberty? And we're like, yeah, that's what we're getting ready to do. He goes, don't, you don't want to take the Staten Island Ferry. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what everybody told us we should do. He goes, no, 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 no. Everybody says that, but that's not what you want to do. He goes, I, I got a better idea for you. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, we have our own boat, right? We've got our own boat. And he's like, you could be on a boat that, you know, it's not a public boat. It's like a private thing. You'd be on our boat. We can actually, the Staten Island Ferry's on a set course, right? They're not going to get close to Liberty Island. They, they're going to be way far away. You're going to be like seeing it through binoculars. Forget that. Our boat, we can get as close to Liberty Island as you're allowed to get, right? We'll get right up next to it. He's like, it's fun. There'll be lots of fun people. You should go on our boat. You'll have a much better view. Don't you want your kids to have the best possible experience, you know? And Shannon and I kind of look at each other and we're like, well, I mean, what, like, where is your boat? Because Staten Island Ferry's right here. He's like, oh, no, we'll take you. We'll take you to our boat, you know. There's a bus that'll pick you up. I'm like, well, when is this going to happen? He goes, it's going to happen right now. And I'm like, but where? And what are some of the details? He goes, don't worry about the details. Just trust me, right? Just trust me. So we pay the money. It was like, I don't know what it was, it was like, 100 bucks, more than that. She doesn't remember. Whatever. So we pay this money. And uh, I'm telling the kids, like, okay, we're going to get on this bus. This bus pulls up. It's, kinda, it's just like a renovated school bus. We get on the bus. You guys, I'm surprised we didn't get kidnapped, right? So we get on the bus. They drive us to this, this pier, like Pier 25 or whatever. And there's this long line of people who've also been scammed like us. We're standing in this long line of people waiting in the heat. It's like a heat wave. We're standing out in the sun. Finally, they let us on this boat. And here's what this boat is. It's like, a, it's like one of those wedding party boats. It's got like a disco floor on the bottom deck. Uh, we get in there. They've packed it so full of people, there's no standing room on the upper deck. So we have to go down below. Down below, there's like a dance floor. There's like a DJ spinning tunes. There's like moving lights. All of the windows on the bottom floor have like a fiberglass over them that's like scratched up, right? So you can't really see out. And, uh, and then there's like, we go and sure enough, they get close to Liberty Island, but you can't see anything out of these windows, right? You can't see anything. And there's like a waitress walking around and she keeps offering my 11 year old a mimosa, which I was like, he's not even four feet tall. Please do not give him like a mimosa. Like what are you going? It was a mess, right? We have learned over time, all of us, that when somebody says, come with me or go with me to a place and I'll describe it to you when we get there. We don't do that, right? You give me the details before you go. By the way, if you go to New York and you want to see the uh, Statue of Liberty, I know a boat you could ride on. Uh, God says to him, I want you to go and I'll show you where we're going to go when we get there. A land that I will show you. No, no, no. We like security. We like confidence. God is saying here, turn loose of what you know and allow me to reveal myself to you in places that are unknown. Turn loose of what you know and your experience. Turn loose of what your father has taught you about the gods. And come with me to a place where I will reveal myself to you in ways that have been previously unknown to you. This is scary to us, but God continues to do this today. I can't tell you how often I have conversations with people who have experienced God in a particular way in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or in the last five years, right? They've experienced God in a particular way and they only want to experience God in that same way forever, right? I experienced God in this place at this time through this song. The pastor was wearing a suit. There were no tattoos, whatever. And, and they just want to experience God in the same way. We expect that God will reveal himself in the way we've always known, 
And what God is saying to Abram, and I think what God says to us today is, I revealed myself to you before, I will continue to reveal myself, but I want you to trust me. It's silly for us to limit the revelation of God to the way we've seen and understood only in the past. Does that make sense? For what it's worth, Abram's understanding of God in the past would have been fatally flawed. God is saying, I want to reveal myself to you, and I will do that in what has previously been unknown to you. We sometimes only expect God to show up where he has in the past, but God wants to reveal himself to us in new places and in new ways. And in order for that to happen, we have to trust him to show us the land along the way. I will tell you, uh, and I don't want this to hurt your feelings, but in all honesty, had God been very clear to my wife and I about what our experience at Fullerton Free would be like when he called us to this church in 2017, I'm not sure we would have come. Because it's been really hard, right? It's been a very, I mean, not just, the, not just church stuff, but the COVID thing and the politics thing and everybody fighting. If God had said, hey, I want you to go and be the pastor at Fullerton Free over the next five or six years, whatever the time length, I want you to go and be the pastor and, and people are going to be at you all the time. I probably would have been like, I think I'll just stay in Long Beach, right? People are nice to me here in Long Beach. I think I'll just stay. God didn't reveal to me what this path was going to be like. He called me here and he said, I'll show you what it's going to be like along the way. And so we trust him in it along the way. That's not just true of pastors. It's not just true of shepherds. It's true of all of us. God wants us to trust him on the path. God comes to Abram and he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you, here's where the promises come in. There's the commandment and here's the promises. He says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all, you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God makes some promises here. He promises guidance. He says, I'll show you where you're going to go. He promises a land and a people and a blessing and a purpose. God shows us where he wants us to go along the way. For us, you might be sitting here today going, well, I, I love the fact that God came to Abram and said, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. I wish God would do that to me. I wish I could hear God's audible voice. I wish God would speak to me at lunch this afternoon and say, hey, you know, Keith, I want you to move to Nebraska. Or, hey, Susie, I want you to move to, you know, Mazatlan or whatever. That would be so helpful if God would just speak to me like he did to Abram. Well, the reality for you and I is that God does speak to us like he did to Abram. He speaks to us through his revealed word. And he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through the community of faith, walking this pathway with one another as we're listening to the voice of God. But God still speaks today as he's spoken in the past. He has called us to live certain ways. It's funny, I I will also occasionally sit down with people who are like, where's this church headed? You know, like, what's going, where are we going? What's your plan? Like, what's all this about? And it's funny because I think at the heart of people, they want me to be like super innovative, right? To come up with a plan for church that nobody's ever thought of before. Like that I got this big innovative dream for who we're going to be and where we're going in the future that nobody's ever thunk up and I've thought of a brand new thing. But can I tell you, God's not calling shepherds and leaders of the church and he's not calling disciples to be particularly innovative in what the church is intended to be. He's already laid that out in his word. I don't have to come up with new things. When they ask Jesus, hey, what's most important? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you get those two right, you kind of figure the whole thing out. Jesus in the Great Commission says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything which I've commanded you. Well, when we put a mission statement out here at Fullerton Free that says, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're going to be a loving community, united in sacrifice and living like Christ for the glory of God. Listen, there's nothing innovative in that, right? We haven't come up with anything that the church up the street hasn't thought of also. We're not meant to be innovative. We're meant to get the basics right. And to be honest with you, I don't get the basics right all the time. And neither do you. We got work to do just to get the fundamentals figured out without any innovation whatsoever. Does that make sense? My goal and my hope, the hope of the leadership is that we will get the basics right, that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. What is radiant peace, rooted in confident expectation, if not loving God and loving others? What is revolutionary kindness, rooted in humble solidarity, if not loving God and loving others? It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just Christianity 101. God has called Abram. He says, come, and I will lead you. I will guide you. God guides us as well. He calls him to a land. He says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing, right? He he promises him this land. Well, we know there is a literal physical location where this promise ain't in because Abram's gonna wander through it here in a minute. But for us, the message that God gives to Abram is very similar and it's a foreshadowing of the message of Jesus, right? In the same way that God looks at Abram and says, hey, I want you to come with me and I'm gonna lead you to a land that will be yours, The way the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is summarized in all of the Gospels in one way or another is essentially found in Matthew 4.17. In Matthew 4.17, when the message of Jesus Christ is summarized, you know what it is? Repent, for the kingdom of God is available. Repent, because you could be living in a different land. I've got a land for you. And if you'll turn from your own ways, you can live in this new land. The message of Jesus is a message of immigration. Immigrating to the kingdom of God. The message of God for Abram is a message of immigration. Immigrating to the kingdom of God. That's the same thing he's been calling us to. The call of Abram to go into a new land that God would give him. For him, it's the promised land. For us, it's the kingdom of God. God has called us to enter in and to live in his kingdom today. Right? God has called us to live into his kingdom. So God promises to guide him. God promises him a land. And the same is true for us. God talks about creating a people. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation, right? We've seen all, already in the first 11 chapters of this book, division. We've seen the lack of shalom. We've seen people at each other's throats and murdering each other and only caring about their own self and their own aspirations. God here is taking division and he's building unity. He's trying to restore shalom. He's creating a people. Well, in the Old Testament, that people is Israel. Those are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? But the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God's people, the nation of Israel, we all have been grafted into. We come to the New Testament and we see that the church, the followers of Jesus, are intended to be God's chosen people. He was creating a people then, and it's the same people now. His followers, he's, he's made us these same promises to guide us, to give us a land, the kingdom of God, to create unity from division through his church, right? By bringing these people together. And I'll tell you, when he says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation, that would have seemed really unlikely at first, right? If you remember what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it tells us in Genesis 11 that his wife Sarai was barren. So the moment that God comes to him and says, hey, here's my plan for you. I'm going to lead you into a new land. I'm going to create out of you a great nation. Your descendants are going to be many, right? 
I think immediately there would have been a sense on Abram's part to go, well, maybe this God doesn't understand how babies are made, but Sarai's barren. We're not going to have any great nation. There's not going to be any descendants. God loves to bring life where previously there had only been death. I love what it says in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and following, talking about this. It says, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, right? We share in the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. It's verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Do you hear what, what he says is true of our God? He brings life where there was no life. He calls into existence things that previously didn't exist. So when God says to Abram, I'm going to make out of you a great nation, your descendants are going to be many, there is a guarantee here that God is capable to bring life where previously there's only barrenness. It says, God in whom he believed gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, that's Abram, believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Right? It wasn't that he forgot his wife was barren. He was listening to the promise of God. The commandment coupled with the promise of God. I'm going to make out of you a great people, a great nation. I will bring unity from division. God promises to guide him, to take him into a land, to create a people, right? And then back to Genesis chapter 12, he promises blessing. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If, you're, if you have one of our Genesis journals, you're taking notes, I would encourage you to circle or underline all the places where it says, I will in these three verses. God says again and again, I will, I will, I will, I will. What he doesn't say in this text is, Abram, you will be a blessing. I want you to figure out how to bless people. I want you to figure out how to have a great family. I want you to go and figure out how to take this land. God says, I will give you the land. I will bless you. I will take you into the land. I will show you where to go. I will bless, right? The Lord, not Abram, is the dispenser of blessing and curse. The point of this whole call, by the way, the point of the whole call is blessing. It's all about blessing. God is saying, I want you to leave what you've known and come to a place where I'll reveal myself to you new and I will bless you. The point of this is blessing. But I want you to also see that in talking about the blessing, look at verse 3 when he says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is in the very statement of God's blessing an indication that there will also come with this dishonor. That there will be some who won't care that God had called Abram. That there will be some who don't care where he came from or where God's leading him. That there will be some who already occupy the land that God is giving to him, right? That there will be moments of dishonor on the pathway ahead. God indicates that from the get-go. He doesn't say it's all going to be sunshine and roses, He doesn't say it's going to be, you know, doves landing on your shoulder and people feeding you grapes. It's not going to be comfortable and easy all the time. He says at the get-go, those who bless you, I will bless. And when dishonor comes, I'll take care of that also. He doesn't say to Abram, you take care of the dishonor or you take care of the blessing. What does he say again and again? I will, I will, I will. But the indication of opposition is here from the beginning. 
And he doesn't just say he will bless Abram. I want you to see that there's a purpose. He says, I will make of you, this is verse 2 again, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Well, if we just stopped there, he'd be like, good for Abram, man. He scored. He struck the lottery, right? He hit it rich. God's going to give him land and going to make him great, and God's going to bless him. Good for him. But it isn't just that Abram would be filled up with blessing. Look at what he says. I will bless you and make your name great. If you're the kind of person who takes notes, circle those words, so that. Or underline the words, so that. I will bless you, make your name great, so that what? So that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. Why is God doing this? Why does God tap Abram on the shoulder and say, I want you to leave the past and come with me into the future. I'm going to do all these things for you. I'm going to bless you. I'll take care of those who dishonor you. Why does he do it? In order to spread blessing. We've talked before about the fact that none of us are intended to be receptacles for the blessing of God or the love of God. That none of us are meant to just soak it up and be sponges for God's blessing or his goodness. That we're never meant to be a receptacle. We're always meant to be a conduit, right? We're always meant to be a channel that the blessing of God pours into and out of. A cup that overflows into the lives of the people we come into contact. Again, when we talk about revolutionary kindness, we talk about prophetic engagement. When we talk about unforced appeal, all of the vision pillars are rooted in this idea of God will fill up my cup so that, circle those words, I will pour into the cups of other people on his behalf. God will bless the people of the earth through Abram, there is a purpose to be a blessing. I think I've told you guys the story before of the time when Hank, my son, was little. And he had, uh, he had a friend come over. And he used to have all these Thomas the Train, in, you know, like train cars. And on this one particular day, a little boy came over and was playing with Hank. And then as the little boy was leaving, the boy's got his arms full of all of, Thomas's tra- or, or of Hank's trains. He's got all of his trains and he's carrying them out. And I was like, oh, uh, you know, because those trains, if, you're, if you've ever bought any of those Thomas the Train, they're not cheap, right? And this little boy's carrying them out. And I was like, hey, uh, but I didn't really know what to do. I couldn't be like, give me those trains back. Those belong to Hank, you know? So the, the boy gets in his car and he leaves. He takes some of my son's stuff. And then after he leaves, I looked at Hank and I said, Hank, you know, your friend took a bunch of your trains. And he goes, I know. And I was like, well, those are yours. You know, mommy and daddy bought those for you to play with. Those are supposed to, you're supposed to keep them in your cabinet. And he can play with them when he comes over here, but he's not supposed to take them. And he goes, oh, dad, but he really wanted those trains. And I was like, well, yeah, I know, I get it. I get that he really wanted the trains, you know, but remember, you wanted the trains too. I bought them for you and they were yours and you were supposed to hold on to them. He goes, oh, dad, if I need more trains, you'll buy me more. (laughs) Now, I don't have unlimited resources. I like his confidence in me. Can I tell you that's exactly what God is saying to Abram here? I'll take care of the trains. I'm going to give you a bunch of trains so you can give trains away, right? I'm going to fill up the cabinet with trains so that you've got as many trains as you need to hand them out to the people who need them, right? God says to Abram, I'm going to to bless you. I'm going to lead you to a place you haven't seen yet. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to make your name great and make you a blessing so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you, verse 3, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to see the breadth of that. I want you to see the breadth of it. What's happening here? What what we're seeing revealed in Genesis chapter 12 is a flashing sign to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he's pointing ahead and he's not saying, it's just going to be Abram and Isaac and Jacob and your kin and kindred. No, no, no. What's going to happen is that through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus 
He's talking about the fact that the Son of God would come to earth in bodily form, that he would take on flesh, that he would take the sin of the world upon himself, that he would die on the cross in our stead, shed his blood and die for our sin, that he would rise from the dead, conquering the grave, and then extend by his grace resurrection life to all the families of the earth. That will come through Abram's descendants. Now, Abram's not going to see that in his lifetime, and the writer to Hebrews will talk about that, that he didn't see all these things fulfilled. But we, with the gift of being able to look backwards, have the absolute ability to look at that and understand that what God is saying is, I'm not just going to make sure you have food on your table and make sure you have a place to sleep at night. I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you. And he's pointing directly at the salvation that comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the earth will be blessed through you. Galatians chapter 3, listen to this. Galatians 3, 5 and following says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. By the way, by the way, if you're the kind of person who takes notes, here it is in Galatians 3. I would circle or underline the words, preach the gospel. What did God say to Abram? God said, leave your kindred and your family and your home and come to a place I'm going to show you. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you I will curse. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's what God said. What Paul says in Galatians is that God explained to Abraham the gospel, the good news. It says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The call for us this morning is to have the same faith that Abraham had. A faith to hear the call of God and say, I'm going to leave what what feels safe and comfortable to me, and I'm going to go into a new territory that God will show me when I get there. And it will be his job to fill up my cabinet with trains so I have trains to give away when I need them, right? That God will be the one who blesses us. He will, he will, he will. I love the inclusion of all the families of the earth. Well, we could finish this message this morning by saying God spoke and Abram heard. And then if you look at verse four, I love this again, if you're the kind of person who takes notes, it says in Genesis 12 verse four, so Abram went. I mean, you could preach a whole series of messages just on those three verses, right? I could preach a whole series on those three words. So Abram went. God spoke, he heard, and he went. But there is a step that's not mentioned here. It's implied. There's a step before he went. There's a step between verse 3 and verse 4. The step between verse 3 and verse 4 that isn't written is that Abraham, Abram, his name will become Abraham later. We'll get there. Before Abram went in verse 4, he believed. He believed. It's an important step. Uh, sometimes you'll be in a church service or you'll listen to a pastor or a Bible teacher and it feels like everything they're trying to get you to do is just action, right? Just do it. Just go. Just give or serve or get up and move, you know, go to China and share your faith. Just go, go, go. Sometimes it feels like what we're trying to do is just get people to do stuff. Can I tell you, that's not how it works because it's possible for you to do religious looking things without faith. And the goal of what we're trying to do here is to see God build faith in people. Now, faith will produce works, but works alone aren't aren't the end goal. Yes, Abram went, and that is important to note. But before he went, 
before he went, he believed. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and following, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went. By faith, he went. How did he go? Did he just go, oh, you know, God tapped me on the shoulder, so I'm going to do it. No, no, no. He believed what God said. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abram had eyes to look ahead and believe in the promise of God, right? And that's what we have to have as well. It's not enough for me just to teach in a compelling way. It's not enough for you just to open your Bible and read it and understand what God has said. It's not enough for God just to reveal himself to you. And it isn't just enough for you to see the revelation of God and do something, right? The goal isn't just hear God and do. The goal is hear God, believe God, and do. See the difference? That belief piece is important. That faith piece is important. In fact, if we come back to the text in Romans we were looking at earlier, if we pick it up where we stopped, it says in verse 20 of Romans chapter 4, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as he worshipped, as he glorified. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are called, we are encouraged, we are invited to have the same faith that Abram had. A a faith that heard God when God spoke, believed God, and went. Uh, my, my family and I took a little drive up the central coast yesterday. And there's an interesting thing that happens when I'm driving. We left pretty early. And when I'm driving, sometimes I end up going a little bit fast. And if I'm going a little bit fast on the five, trying to get to the 101, trying to get through LA, there's moments on the road where my wife will go, uh, it feels like you're driving a little bit fast, right? I hear her voice. She says, it feels like you're going a little bit fast. And I will tell you, she said that to me a couple of times yesterday morning. And and when she said it, my speed didn't change. I heard her, but I didn't believe her, right? I didn't agree with her. I didn't think I was going too fast. I thought I was going just fast enough, right? There were other times on the trip yesterday where she went, I see a highway patrolman about uh, half a mile up the road. And you know what? My speed changed then. Because while I might disagree with my wife's assessment of my speed, I believe in the assessment of the highway patrolman. (laughs) And that belief changes my action. You see the difference? The belief changes my action. If you're here this morning and you're struggling to figure out why you don't obey God, why you don't serve more, why you don't give more, why why, why you're not living a life of radiant peace and revolutionary kindness... If you're looking at your life going, why can't I just do it? Well, the, the, the issue is probably not your ability to do things, but it's probably whether or not you believe God is who he says he is and whether or not you believe he created you for the things he created you for, whether or not you believe he's the sovereign king of the universe. You, you don't just want to look at your actions because you can change your actions. You want to look at your faith. You want to look at your belief. Now, I'll, I'll finish with this. Usually when you, when you read and study this text, Genesis chapter 12, verses one through nine, usually uh, when, when you read it, Uh, What happens is people go, hey, 
God's going to call you too. So get ready to leave everything behind and head with us into the future, right? And it almost feels like the message is like, get ready to suffer, right? Get ready for pain. Get ready for sacrifice. Get ready for difficulty. Well, that, 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 that read isn't incorrect. It's not incorrect. But it, but it does miss something important. It misses something important. Well, what does it miss? Well, it misses the fact that God tapping Abram on the shoulder and saying, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give to you and I'm going to protect you and I'm going to use you as a conduit to bless all the families of the earth. That, that's not a burden. That's, that's not like a heavy weight for him to carry. It's a privilege. You see the difference? How incredible, and this is true for us this morning, how incredible that the God of the universe who could have chosen to reach the world any way he wanted to decided to use us as ambassadors. How incredible that he decided, he tapped you and I on the shoulder and said, I can reveal myself any way I want and I'm going to use you. I want you to come into the kingdom of God and I will bless you and I will keep you and I will use you as a conduit for blessing. Are there things that are difficult about following Jesus? Certainly. But before you think about the difficulty, why don't you start by thinking about the honor of it? How incredible the creator of all things includes Abram, invites him to participate, says that he will guard and protect and guide. How incredible that he does the same thing for us this morning. You and I have the opportunity to hear God, to believe God, to obey God, and to be blessed by God as a conduit for blessing to everyone we know. Abram ends up in this last section in in 4 through 9. He ends up going into the land, and it says the Canaanites are there. This is a land where the people do not recognize who God is. And yet God is in control. Even in the midst of the pagan peoples, he says, I'm going to give you this land. And what do we see Abram do? He sets up altars, places of worship. What are are these altars? Well, they're moments for him to express gratitude. It's what Abram leaves behind. These pillars of gratitude and joy and worship. How incredible is it that the God of the universe invites us to walk with him? That he does the very same thing, that we're invited to have the faith of Abram that hears God and believes God and obeys God. It's a privilege, an honor. It's a gift. You and I also have the opportunity to to live a life that establishes pillars of joy and pillars of worship and pillars of adoration along the way, even in the midst of a place that doesn't recognize who God is, right? We have this opportunity. Tara, just for reflection, Tara, Abram's father, he stops on the way and he dies there. I don't want to be the kind of person who stops on the way and dies. I want to be the kind of person who goes, okay, God, I'm down. Like you're tapping me on the shoulder. You're leading me to a place you're going to show me when we get there. I consider myself privileged to have been tapped on the shoulder and invited. So let's see what you've got. And my invitation to you this morning is the same thing. Will you recognize the, the great honor and privilege it is to hear the voice of God, to be called by him, to be spoken to and invited? And will you believe him? And obey him. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a sense of thrill, a sense of uh, gratitude and awe that we can hear your voice, that you speak to us, that we can believe you as you stir faith in us and that we can obey you, that we can be your ambassadors, we can be your emissaries, not just to be blessed by you, but to have our cup filled up to overflowing for the sake of pouring out of our cup into the cups of every family on the earth in the name of Christ. Help us to recognize the privilege and the honor that is, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.